This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. Hello and welcome to Health and Living with me, Lim Su. And our brain is a complex organ and any physical trauma to the brain or even neurological disorders can have an impact on our cognition and our behaviour. So on this episode of Humans of Healthcare, um, we want to find out a bit more about someone who looks at that relationship. And so I'm speaking today to clinical neuropsychologist Dr. A. Padmasini to find out more about her specialization of neuropsychology and how this could be a vital field as we see a rise in neurological disorders and mental health issues as well. And we'll find out more about what it takes to be a neuropsychologist here in Malaysia. Padma, thank you so much for joining me on the show today. Yes, Thank you so much for having me, Sue Anne. I'll start with a very broad question, but what is neuropsychology and how is it linked to both neurology and psychology? Yes, uh, so I guess to start off, psychology is the study of uh, the human mind and behaviour, right? And neuropsychology is a subfield of psychology where we see, we learn how the brain affects or relates to the behaviors that we see in people and it's mainly dealing with uh, neurological disorders or any disorders that affect the nervous system uh, that's mainly the brain that we are looking at uh, could be due to a brain injury or developmentally someone has uh, attention deficit disorder or um, uh, autism mm. Or it could be due to a neurodegenerative disorder like Alzheimer's disease. Uh, so those are the things that will affect the brain. And some things that are uh, often overlooked is like long-term depression, long-term anxiety can also affect your thinking skills. Mm -hmm. uh, so we also work with people, we do cognitive testing in neuropsychology. So we uh, also look at people with uh psychological disorders because it can affect how you think and how you function in life. Mm. How is what, and maybe I guess in describing your work as a <clears throat> clinical neuropsychologist, how is it what you do different from what a, neuro, uh, what a neurologist or what a clinical psychologist might do? Because as you say, there's an overlap, right? Yeah. So for neurologists, you need to do a medical degree, an MBBS degree, and then they need to do a uh, masters in neurology to subspecialize. So they also work with cent, uh, disorders from the central nervous system, which is the brain and spinal cord-based disorders. Mm -hmm. But their target is to diagnose and treat those symptoms. So cognitive uh, uh, thinking skills that can be affected due to the disorders are not looked at by the neurologists. Mm. So for that, we need to go to a neuropsychologist, a clinical neuropsychologist, I would say. Mm. For clinical psychology, it's mainly talking therapy related to mental health disorders. Mm -hmm. uh, so they also do um, psychological assessments to assess mental health. And they can also do cognitive testing, but it would be different from how a neuropsychologist does the uh, interpretation of the test, because we have a lot of training in the brain's anatomy and how that would affect um, people's functions and also what we see in the testing results. Mm. Could you mm. elaborate more, Padma, about what do you mean about interpretation of the results? Because um, um, I think for a layperson, you know, it, it seems yes. like the same, right? Yes. 
Yeah, yeah. So for, let's say, clinical psychology, you might do a IQ testing or testing of how well are you doing academically? Are you doing well in maths for the year two level that mm-hmm. you are studying? Uh, and they also do other forms of uh, memory testing and all that. And they take the uh, overall scores of each of the tests and tell you, you are, this is your IQ, your memory seems to be okay in this domain. So they take the score given by the test result. Uh, for neuropsychology, we really break it down subtest by subtest and group it. Uh, so our understanding is, when some when we test for memory, mm-hmm. that's not the only thing that the test does. Mm-hmm. It also assesses other things like uh, processing speed, attention. How fast are they able to do the test? If the test requires someone to hold a number of information in the mind while doing the test, is that slowing down their performance, or is it due to their attention that they can't perform well? So we look at it by cognitive domain. So mm-hmm. we break down all the test results and combine it to give our interpretation of specific cognitive domains like attention, memory, uh, executive functioning, language and all. Mm-hmm. So it's just not the what the test results tells me. We really break it down. And that's not the only piece of information. We also look at brain imaging. Mm-hmm for neuropsychologists uh, and we also need to look at the medication because medications can also have side effects that affect your thinking skills uh, and sometimes you know cancer treatment like radiology uh, radiotherapy chemotherapy and all that also affects thinking skills so you also need to consider all those factors before saying what is possibly causing your difficulty and how can we work on it. Mm. So from what you just mentioned there, Patman, what you mentioned earlier about looking at um, physical injury, looking at uh, neurological disorders due to age or um, diseases or even neurodevelopmental disorders, a clinical mm. neuropsychologist really, you look at patients across the age spectrum, is that right? Yes, yeah, yes. Mm. Um, I, I was also reading about this and there's also another branch of neuropsychology called cognitive neuropsychology. Is that different from your role as a clinical neuropsychologist? Yes, in the sense that they are more research-based. Mm. Uh, they're mainly in the academic field, teaching and research. Mm-hmm. And so they don't work with patients in the clinical setting like hospitals or clinics. Yeah. Mm. Is uh, that... But clinical neuropsychologists, sorry, mm-hmm. can also do research. Mm. So you'll find people who are practicing as clinic in the clinical field are also doing research by the side because there's a lot of scope of uh, study for this field. Mm. Mm. Maybe you could give us a bit of an idea. What kind of research would um, neuropsychologists do? Yeah, so for clinical, we would do like uh, come up with a rehabilitation, like memory rehabilitation program and see how beneficial it is for people in the long run. Uh, other things would be trying out, uh, there's uh, something called neuropsychotherapy now mm-hmm. where the traditional CBT that we use, you know, cognitive behavioral therapy, different forms of psychotherapy that's used in the clinical psychology setting. We are trying to adapt it to the neurologic uh, patients with neurological disorders. 
So based on their cognitive uh, abilities, how can we adapt the talking therapies to benefit them better so we can do research in those fields? Mm. All right. All right. Mm. We'll go for a quick break now. And when we come back, you know, I want to find out more about what um, a day in the life of a clinical neuropsychologist looks like. You know, what sessions might look like for you on the show with me today is clinical neuropsychologist Dr. Apan Masini. And this is an episode of Humans of Healthcare. So we are delving into what this field of neuropsychology is. We'll be right back after a quick break. So keep it here on Health and Living, BFM 89.9. Welcome back to Health and Living with me, Lim Su An. You are tuned into an episode of our Humans of Healthcare series where we explore different fields in the world of healthcare, particularly fields that um, aren't as common or fields that people aren't as familiar with. And today we are featuring the clinical neuropsychologist. And so joining me today is Dr. A. Padmasini. Um, she's been walking us through what neuropsychology is, sort of helping us understand the differences or rather how it's linked to both neurology and psychology. Um, it is a subspecialty of clinical psychology, um, and so, you know, we've been talking about, you know, the kind of conditions that someone like her would see. Um, and maybe we can, you can walk us through, you know, what a session looks like for you, Padma, you know, and, and perhaps you can use an example of the concerns that you see. Um, what happens when a patient walks into your clinic? You know, what do you assess for? Yeah, just before going through that, I mm -hmm. guess just to let you know, uh, mm -hmm. clinical neuropsychology is a subspecialty field of psychology. Mm -hmm not a sub subfield of clinical psychology. So right. you don't have to do a degree in clinical psychology to be a clinical neuropsychologist. Right. So okay. just, just to clarify that. So regarding uh, my day-to-day -day work, so let's say if I were to see a patient who's just had a stroke, mm -hmm. so what? Uh, so this is, I'm telling you in a private setting, so in a, a hospital setting would be different. Mm -hmm. In a private clinic setting, we'll make an appointment with the patient together with uh, the caregiver, uh, family members who are taking care of them to come along for the mm -hmm. appointment uh, and we'll do a thorough intake interview. So this is where we learn about the patient's uh, personal history, medical history, family history, uh, how are they coping? What is their, what are some of their cognitive difficulties that they are having? And we also get uh, additional information from the family members. And if needed, we'll get their permission to also talk to um, other people who are involved with them, like uh, their neurologists or doctors, or uh, if they are going for any uh, classes or something, to talk mm. to the people who usually engage with them to know what's the change that they are seeing before and after the stroke. Mm. Uh, how can we help them and what's the difficulty they are having in uh, going back to the day-to-day -day life that they were doing before. Mm. Uh, and we also request for brain scans, so MRI uh, scans to look at, to see which part of the brain is affected and likely to get better compared to which part of the brain is uh, probably not going to get better because mm. of how much it's affected. And that would help us with uh, setting prognosis as well. How how likely are they to get better or get back to doing things in life? Mm. That would be the first session. Mm -hmm. And then 
make that would take about an hour or so. Uh, and then the next session would be for them to come in and do cognitive testing. Mm. It's a very comprehensive testing which looks at all the domains of uh thinking skills like attention, memory, language, uh, executive functioning, which looks at things like reasoning, planning, problem solving. So this cognitive testing session takes about easily three to four to five hours. Wow. So on the clients, they're getting too tired or they're lacking sleep. We might break the session, the testing session to two to three days depending on how much they can cope, how long they can pay attention, because it is very tiring for the brain. Mm. Uh, after that, we will go about scoring, interpreting, and we'll have uh, one more session of feedback where we put everything together for the client, draw a picture for them, and give a recommendation for rehabilitation feedback, and also whether if there's they might benefit from speech therapy or occupational or physiotherapy or psychiatrist review for mm. getting medication. We'll do the necessary referral as well. And if they agree to do cognitive rehabilitation mm -hmm. uh, and then they'll have to come for follow-up sessions where we will, there's two things that we'll do. Mm -hmm. One is using the there's a lot of uh, cognitive rehab software which trains your mind to uh, do a similar task again and again to improve memory and your speed of processing and all but that's just one part of it the second part is to set goals with the client meaningful goals like let's say they want to remember people's names or they want to remember how to get from uh work to their house or anything that's relevant to the client and we use learning strategies uh, to help them achieve that goal so it's not just about getting good at a computer software that's training your memory but also how to use that in real life how to apply it in real life mm. That's the cognitive rehab that we do. That mm. could, depending on the goals that the client set, and that could take about uh, easily five to ten sessions. Mm. But it really depends on the client and the family. So in terms of how you would help um, manage the, the client's condition, the cognitive rehab is where you as a clinical neuropsychologist are involved. Yeah, and since I'm also trained clinical psychologist, mm -hmm. if they need uh, talking therapy for their anxiety or depression, mm. I will also do that as well. Mm. And uh, with cognitive rehab, uh, depending on the client's level of independence, ability to think and all, the family's involvement will be very vital or the caregiver's involvement. So whatever we train or learn in sessions during the rehab, we will also inform the family members to help them carry it out and practice it at home. Mm. So you're working not just with the client, but the client's family members as well. Yeah, yeah, because it, it doesn't work just by them. Yeah. Mm. And especially with kids as well. If you're working with kids, then you'll have to work with teachers and also the family members. Mm. Mm. Do, do you find, is that necessarily more challenging or easier working with the client versus with their family members? 
Uh, it could be challenging in the sense that when uh, the client and the family members have different goals, mm. they want to. So it could be the family members um, wanting to reduce the amount of um, responsibilities that they have. And it could be for the first few months after a stroke, they might need to carry a lot more responsibility for the client. Mm. Uh, and so there it could be a challenge and with the child clients uh, working with teachers and parents can also be a challenge like what can the school provide what kind of adjustments the school can provide for the child to thrive mm. learning environment is also a challenge and uh, requires some negotiation and talking skills. Mm, I can yeah. imagine, and yeah. and I guess it's it, you would also have to manage the goals or, or the 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 rehab, right? Depending on what is doable and what isn't in the client's yeah. um home situation. Yes. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Um. Is there anything that you don't do as a clinical neuropsychologist? I mean, things that perhaps people think you do, but you actually don't. We don't provide medication. Mm. We can't prescribe medication. Uh, what else? We don't uh, do um, rehabilitation for physical difficulties. Mm that would fall under physiotherapies and occupational therapies. So those you would refer to your colleagues in either neurology or, or, or physiothera physical therapy? Yeah, and also speech. So we mm. can assess how their language functions, but mm -hmm. for speech therapy, they would need to go to a speech therapist. Mm. All right. Um, I am curious, you know, what drew you to become a clinical psychologist and also to, you know, later specialize in neuropsychology? Yeah, I guess uh, I was fortunate in the sense that my doctorate was a dual doctorate. So I did clinical psychology and clinical neuropsychology together. Mm. It wasn't a later thing. So my initial interest was always clinical neuropsychology. And there are not that many programs out there. Uh, so I applied for everything and I was lucky to get into a program which offered both. Mm. And I find that they really complement each other and both skills are, I'd say, really useful for me as I'm working now. I'm like, I don't see myself as neuropsychologist at one point and clinical at one point, but mm. it really comes in together. So mm. I'm really happy I got to do both together. Mm. But like you mm. mentioned, it's not something that most people know about, right? So how did you figure out that neuropsychology was something that you wanted to do as well? Yes, I guess when I was doing my undergraduate in psychology, biopsychology was a subject that really drew me. Like, mm. I was really interested in biology and the brain was really fascinating. Uh, how, But there, there's so much to learn still to discover about the brain. And, and then I tried to find out what branches of psychology are there that I can go into that's biology based and I found out about neuropsychology and I was uh, lucky also to do, to do an internship uh, in University of Malaya Medical Center for uh, uh, to see what neuropsychology work involves and I loved it because <laughs> it felt like a detective work where mm. you need to piece a lot of information together and kind of uh, help the client figure out what's going on for them. 
Mm. Mm. Um, for aspiring students then, Padma, maybe you could help us understand a bit, you know, what does that training pathway to become a clinical neuropsychologist look like? Would you like to know in Malaysia first? Yeah, perhaps we'll start with in Malaysia and how does that compare with um, what's offered abroad as well? Okay, yeah. So in Malaysia, as far as I know, there's only one clinical neuropsychology, doctor of psychology program in USM Mm -hmm. Kelantan, Mm -hmm. Science Malaysia Kelantan. Uh, But I think it was started pretty recently. It's very new. Uh, but their requirement is you need to have a clinical psychology master's before you can apply for a neuropsychology doctorate. Uh, but there are law, uh, in HELP University, they provide a PhD in neuropsychology or master's in philosophy in neuropsychology. So that one will be a research-based neuropsychology. It won't be clinical-based Mm. Those are the few that I'm aware of. Mm-hmm. Uh, so there are more opportunities technically to do the research component of neuropsychology rather than the clinical. Mm. Uh, overseas, uh, in Australia, uh, you'll, ha- you'll have to do a four-year undergraduate psychology degree. Mm-hmm. The final year needs to be a thesis uh, that's recognized by the Australian Psychology Board after the four years, you can straight away apply for a doctorate or you can do a master's as well if you want. So they allow you to do a master's in clinical neuropsychology or a PhD or doctor of psychology in clinical neuropsychology. That's Australia. Mm-hmm. But for US, UK, Canada, they will require you to do a clinical psychology degree first and mm. then do a postdoctorate in clinical neuropsychology. Mm. So, uh, the pathways really vary. Mm. Even Europe countries like Netherlands, uh, they also allow you to straight away do neuropsychology degree, clinical neuropsychology masters and all. Mm. Yeah. Is neuropsychology a relatively new subspecialization? Is that why there's such a variation across different countries? Yes, it's pretty new. I think it only uh, in 1960s, 1950s is when the it started to become more famous. So mm. I guess it is taking time. <laughs> for the for, for different countries to sort of sync up, right? Mm. Yeah, what kind of true. what kind of subjects would you study that sets neuropsychology apart from say psychology or clinical psychology? What different you know, just a, an example? An example would be studying the neurological disorders, neuroanatomy, uh, neuropharmacology, so the medications Mm. that are given for brain-based disorders. uh, That's usually how we differ. And our training uh, for, so in both clinical psychology and clinical neuropsychology, you have to do placements. Mm in hospital settings where you are supervised by uh, uh, clinical psychologists or clinical neuropsychologists. So that's where our placement training will differ. So Mm -hmm. they'll be supervised by a clinical psychologist and for neuropsychology, you'll be supervised by clinical neuropsychologists who are working in the settings in the neurology department, rehabilitation Mm -hmm. department, uh, 
geriatricians, working with geriatricians and all that. Mm. So really, you have different options as a clinical neuropsychologist, you know, depending on where you want to, what what sort of areas you want to specialize in even, right? Yes. Yeah. Mm. Do we mm. know how many um, clinical neuropsychologists do we have We have in the country? Yes, we have four. Wow. wow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, even in few. Australia, mm. they have about, I, I don't know, 20,000 plus psychologists mm-hmm. and clinical neuropsychologists are only about 600 plus. Mm, mm. So worldwide, it's still a very small pool of mm. uh, of people. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> mm. But why would you say it's important to develop this field? You know, why do we need more clinical neuropsychologists? I think a lot of people who are with especially ne- neurological disorders worldwide that provide it causes a loss of uh, lots of disability mm. daily life, and it's. A big part of it is due to the cognitive think the the thinking skills that are not functioning as well as they should, and people don't know it's causing them, so they only take medication to manage the symptoms of Parkinson's, let's say the tremors and all that. But it is also causing them difficulties with their thinking skills. Uh, so, with more neuropsychologists around. I guess we'd be better able to help people to become aware of these difficulties and help them find ways to manage these difficulties. Mm. Mm. From your experience, um, Padma, do you find that people usually understand what you do when you say that you're a neuropsychologist? No. (laughs) (laughs) They find it quite difficult, so I'll need to give like examples or like day-to-day examples of, you know, you have to let's say remember to fetch your child from school and then go pick up the laundry mm-hmm. so that that's a type of memory that you could be struggling with mm. after a brain injury so yeah mm. and perhaps to get a bit more personal again Padma you know um, mm. what do you find most challenging working in this field of clinical neuropsychology whether it's in your day-to-day work or perhaps you know broader in the field Yes, I would say when I was in Australia, the challenge was there were very few of us in the settings that we worked. Mm -hmm. And uh, there were a lot of patients to see, but the waiting list was very long because there were so few of us. Mm -hmm. In Malaysia, the challenge would be uh, there's still lacking awareness of, you know, who do I go to Mm -hmm. when I have this difficulty? How do I seek help? So I guess awareness is an issue. And another practical issue that I'm facing would be uh, language. So most of the cognitive tests that we use are created in the Western countries. Mm. right? So when we do it here, we need to uh, cater to people who speak different languages. Mm. Uh, so that's why we need to use like translators in session, uh, to be able to administer those tests. So that's a challenge that we face to find people who can speak the language, who won't bias the results mm. by, you know, when you need to, I read you a question and then the translator will have to say it either in Mandarin or another language. And that needs, the client needs to answer and the translator tells me. So it's like a three-way thing that you really need to observe mm. and for validity, whether the results that I'm getting is usable or not, you know. Mm. 
Mm, because you need to make sure the answers from the translator is exactly what the page, the, the client said, right? It's not, you know, changed or biased in any way when it's being translated. Yeah, yeah. So that's why there's a lot of scope in Malaysia to, in research, to translate a lot of the test mm. materials that we have into the local language and something that's more culturally adaptable to a Malaysian setting. So yeah, there's a lot of work to do. <laughs> mm. But on the flip side, Padma, I think what what has been some of the what have been some of your most rewarding moments working in this career? I would say when you put all the pieces of information together, and when someone is really struggling trying to understand what's going on for mm-hmm. them, is it just because I had this uh, stroke, I'm struggling so much, or because of this tumor, I'm struggling so much? When you put all this information together and present it to them, it kind of makes sense. Mm. It kind of gives hope. So when you see that in your uh, patient's eyes and, you know, the relief that they have, okay, there's something that I can do, there's something that I can work on, that I guess is really rewarding to see, like, you know, at least I'm able to help in some way Mm. to do something Mm. Well, mm. So here's hoping that we see a lot more people interested in clinical neuropsychology and, and perhaps to round up, round up our discussion, Padma, you know, and mm-hmm. first looking at the big picture, right? What would you like to see um, in terms of the, the, the field to better support, um, to better cultivate this field of neuropsychology in Malaysia? I would really hope that the more programs that come up to train people Mm. in clinical neuropsychology. So either a master's or a doctorate locally would be really helpful. Mm. Um, And also, uh, like in overseas, people who have already done a clinical psychology degree or practicing psychologists, if there's like a bridging program where they can learn all the neuropsychology-related information and do supervised hours, uh, and you know, because there are a lot more clinical psychologists in the country, mm. if, if most of them could also provide the services by adding this specialization into mm-hmm. their knowledge base, I guess it would be really helpful for, for our Malaysians. Mm. And mm. Um, any word of advice to students of psychology, you know, who might be interested in, in this field after hearing this interview? I guess it would be to go all out for it. I mean, there are not many universities offering, so apply to every one university that you can and uh, is to keep on uh, learning new things because the neuroscience field is really developing really fast Mm -hmm. with AI and brain imaging techniques that are coming. So keep track of those and keep the passion going. So if you can't do a neuropsychology degree in the first place, do a clinical psychology degree first and then you can still branch out to neuropsychology. So yeah, that would be my advice. All right. Thank you so much for joining me on the show today, Padma. Yes, thank you so much, Sue. It was a pleasure talking to you. I've been speaking to clinical neuropsychologist Dr. A. Padmasini for our Humans of Healthcare series. I'm Lim Suen and this has been Health and Living, BFM 89.9. You have been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. For more stories of the same kind, download the BFM app.